0: Apostle Paul writes, 1 Timothy 1 1, 12 through 17. I thank God, I thank Christ our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus might display his immense patience as an example. For those who would believe in him receive eternal life. Now to, king, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Saved. Now what? Saved. Now what? Now you may have had a Damascus Road experience conversion like the apostle Paul or for some of you and many of you in here you may have come to know Christ at a young age and you've always been in church you've always tried to be faithful you've always tried to walk this out both testimonies of God's grace are powerful both that you could stay and never swerve you could stay God could keep you on the right path and be faithful all of your life. That is a powerful testimony. Right. Right. But it's also a powerful testimony that you were once for a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man or woman, and he transforms your life. Both. It's not one or the other, it is both. Saved, now what? It would be easy today to walk out of here or or almost turn off this message, I would guess, if you've been a Christian for a long time. I'm going to encourage you not to, (laughs) for a lot of reasons. But I would encourage you to listen. Let's say, for instance, you're walking this out full tilt. But you may know someone who has just come to know Christ or needs to know Christ. Or you're here today and maybe in the last few months, the last few minutes maybe you've walked in here and for some reason there has been this pull. You don't really know how to explain it. You don't really know for sure why you're even here in this church this day. But you're here. This whole concept of being saved or Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. It seems kind of crazy. It's mysterious. And I will tell you right now before we can go any further, it is. It is a faith journey. But we're going to land this morning for at least our launching spot of of Luke 19, 1 through 10. It's a song, and I don't even... Many of you know I grew up in church in the sense that my... Mom and dad, it was, it was six kids in my family, in a little town in Arkansas, a town of 400-something people. And there was really only a handful of churches in town, but there was a Church of Christ, and then there was a Nazarene church and a Baptist and a Methodist. I mean, it was, like I said, a half a dozen churches in that little town. But my, my dad and the three boys, me being one of those, obviously, went to the Nazarene church. My mom and the three girls went to the Church of Christ. I went mostly every Sunday, Never went to a VBS, never went to a Sunday school, never went to a summer camp. I didn't really know a lot of Sat next to my dad until I got to be about 16 years old. And then I left 16 to 17, quit going to church, because every time I went to church, I got under conviction. I figured the best way to avoid that was do what? Quit going to church. <laughs> and so I did. So from 16 years old, 17 years old, to 26 years old, I not only walked away from church, I walked away initially, then I began to run. And then after a while, you begin, you're not even running anymore in your mind because you've become so hardened that you don't even really, even when the Spirit comes, you don't pay attention. Anybody ever been there? So you harden yourself, whether intentionally or not intentionally, you harden yourself and your spirit and hearing the word you do it enough just so you won't have to hear it anymore. And so for a decade, I only went to church for, for funerals and weddings. That's it. Not Easter, not Christmas, not, no, no, not any of that. The one thing I did know when I got to be 26 years old, that I was lost. You know before you can be found, you got to figure out you're lost. You know that? In order for you to be saved, you got to know that you're n- not saved, I guess is the way that... And then what happens is, and it happened with me, and I think it happens with any of us, but sometimes you don't notice it as much, especially if you come to Christ early in your life. There is something we call, at least in the Church of the Nazarene or in the, in the Wesleyan movement, is that provenient grace, that grace that goes before salvation, that grace that begins to stir you, that grace that begins to awaken you, that grace that begins to give you a thirst with no drink in sight. You know you're beginning to thirst for something. You don't know what it is, though. And then I come to find out there's only one thing that will quench that thirst, and it's Jesus Christ. Because that thirst is common to all man. All mankind. We just figure out ways to hide it. We just figure out ways to avoid it. And I can't talk fast enough and I can't preach fast enough or loud enough or passionate enough to save anybody. Only He does. Right. The, spirit, the Word says that only the Spirit draws people. No matter how cute we can be up here, all the illustrations we can do or whatever, at the end of the day, only the Spirit drawing you. Right. We have that opportunity. But I believe and we believe that it's for all mankind. Not just a select few, not just this. No, we believe it's for all mankind. So the story today is about a man who went to a lot of effort. A lot of effort. Had to overcome some obstacles to find Jesus. And the reason why I was got into my, my earliest I didn't know this song about Zacchaeus. Some of you have got the Zacchaeus songs down from, from Sunday school and VBS. Uh, I don't have those, so I'm not going to try to sing for you. Actually, I will maybe sing for you a little later, so you can be looking forward to that part, okay? We'll see. Let me read it here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd this wee little man. No, it's not in there, is it? So, so, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, "Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today." So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, "He has gone to the house to to be the guest of a sinner." But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, "Look, Lord." Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated, if I have, and again, he doesn't say that he has. He said, but if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, these are, these are awesome words to hear. Today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. Let's put your name in there. Bailey, today salvation has come to your house. Joel, today salvation has come to your house. Kirsten, today salvation has come to your house. And he reflects, the words here reflect much of what we read from 1 Timothy. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Amen? That's good news. It's good news. Zacchaeus chief tax collector uh, probably wealthy had a high position was probably not thought of well as we know about tax collectors uh, during that time it doesn't say that he was corrupt he just said if I cheated somebody but we all assume he's corrupt right because why he's a tax collector it's like saying well he's a lawyer okay or he's a politician well of course he's a used car salesman of course he's corrupt And we know that's not all true, but, so we don't know. But one thing we do know is he heard Jesus was coming to town and he wanted to be in the path of where Jesus was going. I could preach on that a long time too. <laughs> but when Jesus saw him and he saw Zacchaeus, he calls him by name, he sees him. I've said this before, Jesus had great eyesight. Jesus didn't just see people, he saw people. He saw them. He didn't just see them. He saw Zacchaeus. He called him by name. Jesus was on his way through Jericho, headed to Jerusalem. Now, the best I can understand... This was Jesus' last act of ministry before his death. Many of you, I don't think you take this in context. Sometimes context helps, right? Jesus is on his way through Jericho to Jerusalem to die. On his way to save the world, he stopped to save one. I think it's very biblical. The 99, the one. On his way, on his path, his last act of ministry is on his way. The last thing you would think he'd have on his mind is to save one. I'm about to save the whole stinking world. Hello? Why would I need to save one? I tell you part of the reason why I think it's there for us as much as it was for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't poor. Zacchaeus didn't get called like the disciples in this powerful anointing, come follow me. Zacchaeus didn't have a sickness we can see or an affliction. He just had a need, he had a yearning that we all have. We're all Zacchaeus. And it was immediate. It was immediate. And what I think helped, I mean, we're talking about a short, we don't know how short, but you're a tax collector and you're small. You may have the small man syndrome, whatever that means, but you're wealthy, you've got power. We don't know all of his story. As many of everybody in here, we all have our story, right? We all have our baggage that we ended up here with. We don't know all of it. It doesn't say it here, but we know that he had other parts of the story. But somebody saw him. I heard this recently. I think it was Reggie Joyner said, Nobody needs to be seen by everybody, social media, post, okay? Not everybody needs to see, but everybody needs someone to see them. I, heard, I read a book years ago called Under the Overpass, and I, one of the things I remember out of that book, and there were a lot of things, and these guys lived on the street for, I think, six months or whatever and lived all over the western United States, and, and, and it was just a good book if you ever want to read it about living on the streets, but one of the things they said, they said, one of the, if, if you see a person at the off-ramp that's collecting money, very well, they may have a tremendous lead, but one of the things they need more than anything else, he said, I wouldn't give them money, but what I would is give them my attention. Look at them. See them. They're not invisible. See them. You may not give them anything. I know it feels awkward at first going, well, if I look at them, they're going to think I should have done something but see them as another human being. See them as an equal. Jesus saw that Zacchaeus. He saw him. We cannot underestimate the power of sight. I've said this before. I don't know where I heard it along the way. If you want to be a great missionary, it's not the fact to have great courage to go all these kind of places, which that may, you may need, but one of the things you need is great eyesight. To see what Jesus sees. Ask him to give you the sight that he has. To see people where they are. To see people also to say, I believe in you. Jesus, as we've said before here, Jesus just didn't see the disciples the way they were. He saw them the way they could be. I know when I gave my life and I walked publicly to the front of that Baptist church in Hooks, Texas December 14th, 1986 That day was not the first day I knew God was after me He had been after me weeks months before then Actually He had been after me all along probably since birth, I don't mean it that way but I'm saying observable drawing drawing couldn't get away from it couldn't run from it the only way you can run from it is to try to deaden it just to be honest with you and I believe Zacchaeus represents for all of us that need that that knowing that I'm going to do whatever it takes to find the answer to whatever I can't answer anywhere else and his name is Jesus as I've said earlier we can do all the wrappings we want to do here at Renovation, and I hope we do them really well. Because I believe we live in a place, if we're going to do it, why don't we do it with excellence the best we can? Why not? But nothing we do here can ever rise above that people need Jesus. He is the one that sets them. He is the reason why the chains begin to drop. He's it. And we see that with Zacchaeus, Right? But the first place today, if you're here, the first place I believe that we start in transformation and God begin to change our lives, that we, we realize we are sinners They need a Savior. We don't just need another, as we've said before here, and you heard in our, in our depression and anxiety series, and we never want to play down help that we all need to get. But at the end of the day, Jesus came to save sinners, just not to save the depressed or those who are anxious. He came to save sinners. As Paul says, I am the worst. And for some of you, if you've not been careful, you've been in church and you've been a Christian almost too long. Well, you've become numb to the concept of what he saved you from. You've been a believer so long that somehow or another there's just this, there's not an awe anymore. There's not a gratitude anymore. You just don't have it. You've been a believer or maybe you missed it along the way and I'm not here to question your salvation. I'm just saying at the end of the day, if there is not this gratitude and this this not passion like mine, I'm not trying to tell you you need to be ridiculous like me. All I am saying is there needs to be this overwhelming gratitude of what has been done. When it begins to wane, I would. when it begins to leave or you haven't realized it in years and years and years and years it doesn't mean you have lost your salvation i'm not trying to say that but man alive i'd try to figure out how to get back there as i read last week i think it was when david said return to me Return to me the joy of my salvation. Return to me. Not only giving me a pure heart, creating me a new heart. Return to me the joy of my salvation. Return to me the joy of my salvation. Return to me the joy of my salvation. Because just as David knew, it wasn't just simple forgiveness. Even though forgiveness is critical, we repent. We need forgiveness, but forgiveness alone—it's a slippery slope. Because just asking for forgiveness means I may be doing it again tomorrow. I need a new heart. I need to be changed. I need to be transformed. That's what David was saying. I need to be new. Don't just forgive me and leave me here. Don't just forgive me of my sin and don't give me the power to overcome sin. Jesus says to Nicodemus, every man must be born again in John 3. And he said the wind will come, the Holy Spirit will come to give you the power of not just forgiveness of sin, but the power over sin. That's when the chains begin to drop. Those songs we sang this morning, if it's just asking for forgiveness, that means you may stay in the same cycle over and over and over and over. Without any progress, without any freedom. He just didn't come to forgive you of your sin, which he did. He came to give you the power over sin. Romans 10, 9 and 11. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me have you done that friend have you done that confessed with your mouth believed in your heart and he is who he says he is So what are some signs? We know that we are saved by what? Grace, through faith, to do what? Good works. We're not saved by good works to be saved, but we are saved by grace, through faith, to do what? To do good works, to do something, to change, to to make a difference. Either that or just, because it doesn't it make sense. If, if Jesus was all he was trying to do is get us to heaven, as soon as we're saved, just let's jettison out of here. Let's go on. Jesus says in John 10 10 that the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and live it abundantly. Jesus didn't just come so we get to heaven, he came that we have life right now, today. It's good news. So what are some signs? What are some traits? That's that's a better term, because signs sometimes can get you in trouble in the church, and people are going, okay. But traits, maybe. And we talk about them here at Renovation. We talk about marks of a disciple. If you've heard us talk about the four Gs, I'm going to share those with you. If it's the first time you've heard them, then, then, then I hope they make sense. If you've been here a long time, don't turn me off, okay? And not listen. now. But one is growing. One of the marks of disciple, I believe, is growing. You're growing in your faith. See, Zacchaeus, I think one of the things that I thought was interesting here is he immediately did something. He immediately was changed, he was immediately transformed. Timothy Keller says, he says, growth is gradual, but it is inevitable. If you are a Christian, there will be growth. Paul warns that there must be a right atmosphere for the fruit before the fruit will grow. One is, in Galatians 5, to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. Because the Spirit enables us to produce fruit. One of the signs, I think, or one of the traits that you're growing is the spiritual things no longer seem foolish, Scripture says. This whole concept of Christianity, and I I dealt with it because I had friends and I had family members that were all bought in, and it just seemed like foolishness to me. But what happens is when you come to know Christ, you begin to want more. You begin to hunger for more. I've shared with you before my little pocket Bible that I read at Alumax over and over. I had a chance at working 12-hour shifts that I would... Get a chance to read for 20 to 25 minutes and work for 20 minutes. It's just the way, and I'd put them in my back, put this in my back pocket, and I'd read, I never really read the Old Testament because it wasn't in here, okay? But it was uh, Psalms and Proverbs and the New Testament. And man, I read that over and over and over and over and over. I just wanted more. And I shared with you before, I had some terrible theology. I still got my notes in here from 30-something from 30 years, 30 years ago. And I can tell you right now, I, I just didn't understand what I was reading, i would be honest with you. But fortunately, along the way, I've kind of figured some of it out. But anyway, I was messing people up. But I'll tell you what, I was, I, was, I was passionate. I was passionate. And they knew it. But I'll tell you what I always did. I pointed them to Jesus. You know, pointing people to Jesus can overcome a lot of bad theology. You know, just just point them to Jesus. One of the toughest parts, I think, for many of us when we come to know Christ is that we begin to realize that things in our life shouldn't be there. We begin to look at our, hopefully ask the Holy Spirit to begin to stir in us and say, help me take the things out that shouldn't be here. Bring things in that should be. And this is not about a set of rules we see with Zacchaeus. It wasn't like, okay, Jesus gave him ten rules to go follow. Okay, the Ten Commandments, I get that. But uh, go bunch. No, somehow or another, he went out and gave what? He, he said, if, somebody, if I cheated somebody, I'm going to give them four times. He became generous. He was transformed after being with Jesus. Something began to change in him. So it's more than just a set of rules, but you do begin to look at things a little different. Romans 12, 1 and 2, there's a view of God's mercies, brothers. Offer yourselves as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable act of worship. No longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will it is that morpho transformation but it is a way of thinking a way of you've got to begin to change the way you think you've had the ways of the world you've had all that poured into you up to whatever age whether you're seven years old or whether you're 70 you've had all this information poured into you've been thinking one way And it's this morpho, it's the caterpillar to a butterfly that you begin to have to think different. James Bryan Smith, you've heard me use this many times. James Bryan Smith says, said, people say I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I want to say that makes about as much sense as a butterfly saying I'm just a worm with wings. One of the things I used to tell teenagers, this is where I'm gonna get to sing and I know you're excited. I wrote a rap song many years ago. (laughs) Out of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Stop the flow until you know, and if you don't know, don't go. That's it, it's all got. Stop the flow until you know, and if you don't know, don't go. Come on. That's a better come on. It's original. But my point was, until you're, you may be able to have, you may have to push away from a lot of things for a while, then you may be able to go back to them. But initially, you may have to back way up from a lot of things until your mind has been transformed. Transformed. Until your mind has been renewed, till you can think the way that Jesus would think, till you allow the Holy Spirit, and you're in a habit of allowing the Holy Spirit not only to to speak to you. Jesus says, My sheep shall know what? My voice. Not only till you, you're at a point where you can hear him clearly and know what to do in that moment. For some of you, you may have to just step totally away. So for some of you, you may not just step away from it. You're going to have to burn a bridge and say, I'm never going back. See, for me, it was alcohol. I burned that bridge 30-something years ago. I just burned the bridge. I'm never going back. I burned the bridge. But I had to initially not only stop drinking alcohol for a while, well, I continued, but I also had to be in pl- I couldn't be in places where it was served. Now I can be just about anywhere. I can be with anybody who drowned. It doesn't even really doesn't have an effect on me. I can walk into those places, walk around them. They all have the same smell. You think, I'm kidding. Walk into any establishment, whether it's in Las Vegas or wherever, they all smell the same. And I know that smell. For me, the only place that ever tried to draw me back to, 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 to wanting to drink it all was, was baling hay or, 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 or using a brush hog to cut off a big pasture. Because I used to grow up as a kid, of all things, adults used to give us beer as payment at 16, 17 years old for hauling hay. I don't know. That's what they did. So when I'd go out bush hogging or hauling hay after I got saved was, every time I smelled hay being cut, I wanted to go drink a beer. But I burned that bridge. There's certain bridges you're going to have to burn. There's certain shows you can't watch anymore. There's certain music you need to, at least for a season, step away from. Because you can't be hearing about going and getting drunk and leaving your wife. You may be able to listen to it later. You just can't listen to it right now. And for some of you, it's going to be this attack from people that love you about your faith. They are going to, they're going to belittle you. They're going to call you a fool. They're going to call you, oh, I guess you need a crutch, don't you? You need this kind of crutch to get through life. This is what I'll say about crutches. And I've had sprained ankles. Fortunately, I never had any broken bones in my legs. But one of the things I know about crutches is, in my sprained ankles, is I had to use those crutches because my ankle could no longer function the way it was designed. So, I had to have a crutch, right? I had to have a crutch. Some of you are superstitious. You think I'm crazy right now for walking on crutches. This is what I feel about crutches I was designed for great things, I was designed to walk through storms, to stand on mountains with my Savior. I was designed to have my head up with a great purpose. I had, I, that's what I was designed for. And when I came to know him, I began to throw away what? Crutches. No more alcohol. No more pornography. No more certain things. I began, those things were keeping me supported because I could not function the way I was designed. They were all crutches. The peer pressure I was under A crutch. But now, oh, 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 unforgiveness. Attack, attack. Oh, those are crutches because that was the way I defended myself. But now somebody can attack me, curse me, spit on me, whatever, slander me. They do whatever they want to do, but what they do has nothing to do with how I act. I react because of what Christ has done in my life. That was a crutch because I could, I could hold all that because that was my way of... No. Oh, you can call it a crutch all you want to. I call it freedom. When the Holy Spirit comes in a remarkable way, when it does... I believe he puts an urgency in us. And one of the things he gave Zacchaeus, and I think he gives each one of us, is a new purpose. I no no longer represent Kurt Gentry. I represent the kingdom. What if you walk through your day every day in traffic, wherever you were, however you interact with people, you no longer represent you or your company or whatever else. I'm not saying don't do those things. But above all else, you represent the Kingdom of king, king of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And for some of you, let me say this. Some of you are going to have to take some initiative to get where you need to get to and growing. Fortunately for me, God gave me initiative. I didn't have anybody disciple me. It was evident early on. <laughs> but I didn't. But I took the initiative. Some of you are waiting for somebody else to do something that you already have. It's initiative. You know, initiative is a lot like grace in this sense. You can use it and it never runs out. Let me say it again. Initiative is taken. It's not given. I don't give you initiative. Initiative is taken. Do you hear me? Some of you need to step up and quit waiting for somebody else to help you with this and say, I am going to be responsible for myself if I have to. I'll get you version. I'll listen to Caleb. I'll get myself. I'll get there. Go serve somebody and don't wait for the church to do it. You can do that on your own. We may do all those things, baby, and we will try. But I'm telling you right now, you need to get some initiative and quit waiting for anybody else to get you there. Great, great. And you won't run out of it. You'll have more tomorrow. OK, I'll get back up here. Got done. Okay. Second thing is is gathering. We believe you need to be in a Bible-believing church. You don't have to be in ours. you don't have to be but somewhere where people will support you and hold you accountable, where you can come and worship, because there are things that happen in this gathering that won't happen out there on the mountaintop, just reading your Bible, even though those are awesome things. And you know I believe in that. But something happens in the room. Something happens in the room. Giving. What did Zacchaeus immediately do? First thing he did, he didn't even, I don't know if he told people about Jesus, but the one thing he did do was give. I love what Hebrews 12, 28, 29 says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. There should be a fire in your belly. And he's not like mine again. But there needs to be this fire in your belly. For wanting to give away your, your time, your talent, your treasure, and I'd say most of all the love of Christ. Give it away. Give your grace away. Give grace away. Give grace away. you will be replenished. Give it away. Take a risk. Give some grace away. Give it away. And the last one is going. To go into all the world. And what? To make disciples. Baptizing them. And speaking of that, if you've never been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me say this. Baptism in itself does not make you saved. But it's what Christians do. (laughs) to follow Christ it is a public statement of an inward change dying out to the old being raised to the new we can't even imagine a wedding where a groom and a bride come together and they get where whatever it is they get married and say don't ever tell anybody no, this is about going. This is about sharing your faith. I'll tell you this. Peter and John, I think it's it Acts 4.20. We may have that up there. I don't know. But one of the things I loved about them was it, is the fact that when they were before the Sanhedrin, they tried to say, you guys need to shut up. We're going to let you leave, but you need to shut up. And they said, we can't help. But tell about what we've seen and heard. What's shutting you up to telling people about what Christ has done in your life? Many of you know, because I've said it here, I was the guy in college, didn't finish college, that's the other part of that, okay? I was the guy in college. Actually, I went to the University of Arkansas three days, learned everything I could, left. (laughs) Did that part, yeah, there you go. Uh, Did that, and there's some other things I did along college along the way. But one of them was I went to North Lake Community College in Irving, Texas. I went to, they had a speech class, and about two-thirds of the way through the class, I realized I was going to actually have to give a speech, and I dropped out. You can overcome this by the power of the Spirit. You should be compelled to tell people about what Christ has done in your life. Ask yourself, am I willing? I don't mean go get fired at work and try to figure out some kind. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying allow the Spirit to lead you, whether it's on the, on, 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 in, on, in the grocery line to the to, to, to on an airplane to your workplace or wherever that is where you are engaged and influential there be soft and light and telling people about this jesus who can transform a life in anybody's life i'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody and you're very fortunate i didn't sing that because <laughs> i could Zacchaeus needed Jesus. The lost world around us needs Jesus. It's Jesus. And when they need Jesus, and when you get saved, you need to become like Jesus. You'll never be Jesus. We don't teach that you become a deity, but we believe we were created in the image of God. And after we come to know Christ and we give our life back to Him, He begins to capture that back. That we represent Christ to the world around us. We're called to do that. You've been given a ministry to do that. If you're here today and you, we well, don't know where to start. I, these are out at the info desk. Book of John, Life Application Bible, it says a lot of things up front before you even get into reading Scripture. It's a study Bible. It's one, but one of the reasons I love the book of John in this sense is because it seems so personal, John's relationship with Jesus. So personal. I just say start there. I don't mind us helping you, and we'll try to do things here to help you. But friends, at the end of the day, I might have to answer why I didn't do something as a pastor here to get things going. But ultimately, you have to answer. Did you keep trying to get in my way? Did you keep, like Zacchaeus, I kept trying to get in the flow of where Jesus was. And I look for places. And if it's not here, God bless you. Be somewhere where that's happening. Amen? God bless you. Okay, right, if you stand and just and I'm going to come on down. As we... Are going to do something today that believers do and have for centuries not only in baptism and we'll be sharing more of that with you over the next few weeks but the other one is is we come together as a family here and sharing the Lord's Supper around the table and if you're here for the first time we sure want you to be a part of this and what we ask you to do there's a couple of different ways one we have if you can't come down we have the prepared cups that are here. That if you'll raise your hand, we'll make sure you get one of those. If you physically can't come down here, secondly, if you just don't want to do it the way that we do it here, we have those down here too. And that is where you take the bread. <clears throat> excuse me, dip it in the cup and partake of it here at the table, or as you walk back to your seat. So, and the one logistically, just to share with you, if you're on this side, or this side, this side, come down this aisle and return back. Just makes it easier flow. And same thing here, you come down this way. Come to the table and return back, and we'll close in prayer after everyone has partaken. But Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he sat with his disciples. He took the bread and the cup. And we've already sang earlier today about the blood that was shed for us. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of what he has done with gratitude. With gratitude. With reverence, as Hebrew says, reverence and awe of what he has done. I don't know which comes first, the fire in some ways or we begin to walk in obedience and the fire comes. I don't know the answer to all that. But I know if I walk in obedience, the fire will be there. I do know that. So I encourage you today as you come, as I pray, and we'll come. If you feel led today and you feel ready, you'll come in just a moment and partake. Lord, we come to you today as we represent even putting our name in Zacchaeus' story. You saw us. For some, Lord, I pray that they would go back to that moment, even teenagers, I'm just thinking today, Lord, that there's not one teenager that would sit here today and think, I've been in church all my life, so I must be a Christian. But they would know that they know that they have made a decision, a decision to follow after you. That they're like Zacchaeus. That they've heard those words almost. Today, salvation has come to your house. That they would know personally that they have made that decision. Not by osmosis. (laughs) Not by heritage. But personal. I pray across this room, those who today, maybe for the first time, would say right now and Lord I pray that they would just do this with me Lord Jesus I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you are who you say you are you have died for me and you've been raised from the dead Today, Lord, I just believe by faith it's that simple. I've confessed with my mouth. That's who you are. And I will walk in obedience. Lord, if that's their prayer today, Lord, I pray an assurance over their life. and they would tell somebody, in, even in this room, before they leave this room, that they've prayed that prayer today for the first time. But Lord, I pray for us now as we come, prepared our hearts and our mind, as we remember what you have done for us. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.